always comes to mind. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New, unused, fresh, novel. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the what? righteousness of God in him. If he is in us and we are in him, I just want to exhort you that you're not going to be able to do this in your own strength. You cannot make yourself more acceptable to God. You cannot work it up. You can't be better. I think you could maybe make some improvements. You know what I'm saying? The difference is that you can't better yourself to the point that God loves you more. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe there is no difference. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ doesn't just, we're saying distinguish this, we're not just saying that they say, yeah, I think I knew there was a Jesus, there was a historical figure. We're talking about those of us who place our faith and trust in Him as Savior. If we're in Christ, if we trust in Him as Savior, we have faith in Him as the one who took our sins to the cross, then we have a righteousness that comes from Him. It's not ours. We can't accomplish it, Paul said here, by the law and the prophets. We can't do it by keeping all the laws. We can't please God every day by keeping the rights and wrongs. This is one of the things that keeps people away from Jesus. Is that they say, I'm not good enough. I can't keep up with it. I fail all the time. It's miserable. I'm tired of failing. And the enemy of our soul comes to discourage us and to push us away and say, you're right every time you say that. Those lies actually come from him. That's not what God says about you. God says that when the Father looks at you, hopefully you can get this picture. And Ed, could you close that door? Um, when do you guys close that door on that side? Thank you. When the Father looks at you, imagine this now. And I mean visualize it. Get a picture of it. Jesus steps between he and you. Jesus facing the Father says, Am I righteous before you, Father? And the Father says, Well, of course, Son. You've never even sinned. You're entirely holy and righteous as my Son. Father, then see them this way. Impute my righteousness to them. I died for them. Therefore, my righteousness belongs to them. So every time the Father looks at you, He's looking at Jesus in front of you. Now, it's not that you're hiding behind it. Okay? It's quite literal 
and spiritual, that that righteousness that Christ provides is imputed. That is, it is given to you and is now yours. Now tell me, did you earn that? Do you deserve that? No. <laughs> no, you don't deserve that. How many of you ever got pulled over for speeding? I heard a guy yesterday say I had to appear in court for a parking ticket and I pleaded insanity. The judge says, why do you plead that? He says, well, judge, you'd have to be crazy to park in the, in the passing lane. I'm going to rat off on Rob. He, he might even hear this on a recording. Rob Hastings. Uh, some of you may not know this, but we've just invited them to come and live in Big Bear and be on staff with us. They're coming from Oakdale, California. They did a whirlwind three-day trip down here just this week and looked at 28 houses in one day. And they got one. They just needed one. Yes. And Bev is very excited to have her son coming home. And uh, But he was telling me about a time when he was driving along fairly rapidly. And uh, as, he, as he looked up, he saw the highway patrolman parked along the road. And so what do you do? Showed him. Is that fun on the freeway when it's jamming along and all of a sudden it's just sort of, and you look around. You go, he's got to be out here somewhere. Right? So he slowed down. But what Rob didn't know at the time is that, and maybe you don't know this, is that the radar now works in both directions. So you can sit still and check who's coming and going. So he... He just waited for Rob to fly by, and he pulled in behind him and said, you're doing 90, buddy. He said, no, it couldn't have been 90. (laughs) And they talked about it. (laughs) And after the discussion was concluded, the officer said, I'm not going to write you a ticket. Now, Now, did he deserve that? What did he earn? He earned that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's in Romans also. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. The righteousness of God apart from you doing better. And the law and the prophets witness to it saying it's right. This is what we were looking for. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, there is no difference. It's available to everyone, every rank, every color, every age, both genders. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are concluded under sin. Everybody's sinned. You know, if you just talk to people reasonably, it doesn't take long to get them to agree with that. Have you ever lied? Well, yeah, but is that sin? Yes, that's sin. Have you ever killed anybody? Have you ever... We've all sinned. Anybody not sinned? No, the Bible says all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through redemption, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Simple, justified. You know what that means? You're in front of the judge. He brought the gavel down and said, you're free to go. You're justified in front of the court of law. 
You stand before the Father and he brings the gavel down and says, I see the righteousness of Jesus on your life because you placed your faith and trust in him and what he did. And you now know that you can't earn it yourself. You'll never have it on your own. You can't work harder and do better to get it. I'm justifying you. I'm making it just, we, we say, just if I'd never sinned. I'm justified before God. I don't deserve it. Sometimes I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have an altar call like this morning. I appreciate Jaden lead us in that moment. Come and just stand. Let him, let him work with us. You know, it, it's tempting as a pastoral leader to start running up and down, laying hands on people. But I thought, you know what? I'm not the one handing things out this morning. I could be his hand extended. I could lay hands on you and we could have that kind of an altar call. But this was a call, I believe, of saying just let God do it. Receive from him. Worship him. Let him do it. But even in an altar call moment, there are those thoughts that plague us and say, you know, I'm such a failure. I'm no good. I don't, this is why I'm here. I'm, I'm hoping to get better. We've baptized people in water and say, why are you being baptized? They say, I want all my sins washed away. Wrong. Baptism is a public demonstration of your affiliation with Jesus Christ and the body. It's only the blood that washes us from sin. It's only the shed blood of the Lamb of God on the cross that frees us from sin. That's what justifies us. When we put our faith in Him, it's His redemption. It's His buying us back. Verse 25 says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you have faith in Jesus today? Then you're justified by faith. Let the just live by their faith. This was a major movement with Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, is that the revelation came that it wasn't going to be by doing all the things that need to be done, that somebody wrote a bunch of lists out and said, do all these things and you can be accepted by God and the church. Jesus says, just run to the cross. (laughs) I did it for you. It's taken care of. The payment is made. Just receive it. Part of the problem is it's so simple that we stumble all over it. It's so easy that we want to make it more complex. Why? Because there's, an, there's something inside of us that says, I need to earn it. You ever give gifts to your kids just because they're your kids? You love doing it, don't you? The Bible says if you know how to give, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father love to give good gifts to you? And He gives us and hands us righteousness, right standing with Him. And he says to us that the gates are open. Hebrews chapter 4. I thought this was just an exhortation. Maybe it is. Hebrews chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. We're singing this morning. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Uh, If you're not up on your Bible reading or you're uncertain with this phrase, uh, you've not come across it before, the Holy of Holies was the centermost point in the temple worship of the Jews. It was a private place where God lived in the presence. His presence was with the Ark of the Covenant. 
And only the high priest could go into that chamber once a year with the blood that he would sprinkle on top of the covering of the ark, the mercy seat that was overshadowed by angels beaten out of gold. And if God accepted the blood as a sacrifice for the sins of Israel, then the high priest would come out again and all of the sins of an entire nation would be set ahead for one more year. Just Just set ahead. They weren't forgiven. They were just set ahead. Which means next year on the same day, their sins would be present again, confronting them and convicting them of their sin and condemning them for their sin. And the high priest would go in again and put the blood on the altar. And if it was accepted, then they'd set them ahead another year and another year and another year. And what were they looking for? The Messiah who would come and remove sin once and for all. Jesus is that high priest. This is seeing we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus went in ahead of us. He went in, took his own blood, put it on the ark, put it on the mercy seat, and said, Father, accept my blood as a payment for their sins. And now you and I have access. On the day Jesus was crucified, the curtain that separated the public from the inner chamber of the Holy of Holies, the big curtain, was torn in half from the top to the bottom. That in itself is miraculous. We won't spend time there, but... It says that by tearing the the curtain open from top to bottom, only God could do that. Man may have been able to start at the bottom and work his way up. But God started at the top and worked his way down and said, by doing this, he showed us that the way in to the Holy of Holies was open to everybody. You're welcome there. Come. The Bible says just come. Therefore, we come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and they find the grace to help in time of need. I wanted to exhort this this morning because I just felt, sensed, that there are those of us that wrestle with this issue that, you know, when I fail, it sets me further back in my relationship to God. It hinders me. It keeps me from coming back to Him. You know, if you, I suppose if you said to your son, he came in and he had dirt all over his face, you said, go wash your face. I don't want to see your face until your face is clean. And he went and washed and washed and washed. He could get it off. Would he come back? Or would he hesitate? He would hesitate to come back because he knew the, knows the rules you just put down where to, your face has to be clean before I see you again. And so he wouldn't come back. And you'd go looking for him. He'd be hiding. Sounds like Adam in the garden. Why are you hiding? I'm over here. Why are you hiding? Well, because we're naked. Who told you that? Well, we sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our faces are dirty. God says, I'm going to provide the cleansing for it. I'm going to come just as dirty as you want. Don't practice it. You know, don't go out and get the dirt, put it on, then come. Do your best to keep it off. But never fail to come. Where else will you find grace? Where else will you find mercy? Where else could we find the help we need? Don't let 
sin or failure keep you from running to Jesus? Now, I know we've said it before, but it's so simple. We just I love to keep it in front of us. How do you tell the difference between conviction and condemnation? They're very similar. They have similar results. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. That's his task. It's part of his work. Jesus said when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin or failure to please God and to measure up to his glory, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, it moves you toward the cross. It moves you toward God for the help you need. You begin to run back to Jesus to to get it right. What does condemnation do? Condemnation sets on you and causes you to run away from God. It's, I'm going to hide from Him. I can't be in His presence. I have dirt on my face. He said, I can't come with dirt on my face. He doesn't want to see me till I'm clean. That's a human father. God the Father says, hey, your face is dirty. I'm the only one that can clean it. <laughs> come here. And you grab the washcloth with the blood of Jesus on it, and you get that little guy by the face, and you clean him. Amen. I'm thinking about my grandkids right now. <laughs> they squirm a lot, but we get them clean. <laughs> Your righteousness will never measure up for God. Never. Never. You need to accept that. Then you're free. And the moment you recognize it, that he was made sin for you, then you get to be free. Faith in Jesus sets us free. Hallelujah. Don't do it in your own works. Don't try and make it on your own. Get in through the blood. And if you're with us this morning or you're listening on this online or CD or something and you've just never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sin, you've never asked him to be the Savior of your life, then this whole thing is for you. It's, It's... it's for you. You need to call on him and say, Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. And I can't cleanse myself of sin. You died in my place. You took my sins 2,000 years ago and you nailed them to the cross. And I'm finding out today that there's good news. That my sins are on the cross and I don't have to live under them anymore. I just simply need to extend my faith and believe in you as my Savior. Surrender to you as my Lord. A lot of us don't have trouble singing songs about Jesus being the Savior, but when we start singing songs about Him being the Lord, it gets a little tougher. Amen? It's ownership at that point. But you can surrender your life to Christ in a simple prayer as long as you mean it in your heart, and He will begin to lead and guide your future. Hallelujah. I'm sure glad I did that. And uh, I'm sure glad for the righteousness that comes through Christ, because if not, I'd have been out of here a long time ago. How about you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Any of you ladies want to stand up and testify about the women's meeting yesterday? Give you a moment to think about that. Um, There are some little sheets. Do you want to talk about that, the ensemble thing, just for a second? Thursday night? And uh, speak into my tie. There should be <laughs> there, there should be some more flyers back. I think Robert was handing them out. Robert's got some there. Yeah. Robert has some. We just really want to cover Hannah in prayer. 
and love and support. And it, it says benefit ensemble. That doesn't mean you have to bring money. Just want to make that clear. <coughs> we, we need to bring know, a dessert. We accept. Yeah, bring a dessert. Share with somebody. We do need desserts. Um, and uh, you know that'd be great if you want to bless Hannah financially. She's going to college. She's going to um, major in music and worship. Um, but I'm going to let her tell you about that when you come in here. We're going to play some fun songs, have some dessert, um, and we're going to have some worship and prayer time for Hannah. And just support her, cover her in prayer, show her that we love her and we're going to miss her and her gift in worship. And that's it. That's Hannah. If you don't know Hannah right there. She was playing the viola. Thank you. I want to remind you, too, that because Rob Hastings is moving here, we committed to cover his moving expenses. We're raising $1,500 this month specifically. So if you'd like to participate in that, whether it's a dollar or a dime, or you want to cover the whole thing, that's fine. Uh, it's up to you. Uh, but just make a designation on your check, Hastings move or uh, moving expenses, something like that, or on your envelope. And just put it right in the wall. We won't pass these. But we are counting on the body of Christ to help us make it happen. He's moved. Thank you for reminding me to tell you that. He's moving here. His move dates and the letter will go in the mail this week. Uh, second through the 4th or 5th of September is when they move here. And then we're going to have a, a big potluck lunch on September the 13th. We were going to do that August the 30th, but they won't be here yet. So no sense of doing that. We'll do it on the 13th. Uh, we'll get together, and they'll be that'll be kind of their first service when they're not totally worn out. They will have gotten most of their stuff put away, and we can celebrate their arrival together and have lunch. Is that all right? September 13th. So they're, And if you're around on that Friday when they're moving into town and think it's the 4th, that's the day we unload the truck. So we could use your help or send your assignee if you would like. And, uh, ladies, was there anybody that wanted to tell me how wonderful being at the meeting was all day yesterday? Good. Oh, good. Excuse me for hugging you, but this is being recorded. Yeah. I'm the only microphone. <laughs> um, no, we had a lot of about 114 women that came, wow. and um, we had wonderful speakers. Jen did an excellent job, and and so did uh, Sherry Fields, who talked about her breast cancer, mm. which I can relate to. Wow. 21 year survivor myself. Wow! Praise God. Yeah. And uh, that's why I'm on this, uh-huh. <laughs> my bandaged arm. Um, but uh, Bev and quite a few of the women were here. I can look around and see. Lots of smiling uh, faces yeah, today. Yeah, we had. Uh, and uh, it Thanks. was wonderful. We had a lot of good speakers. A lot of people um, learned about prayer. Really? How it really makes a difference in your life. Oh and to keep goodness. praying and never to give up. How excellent is that? Yeah. That's my message today. Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's a good one. Did they use it. Luke 18? Uh, <laughs> I have to look at my book. No, but I, that didn't sound bad. Hmm? I don't remember Luke 18. That's all right. Okay. okay. Good. Thank you, Jill. And sorry for the talk into my chest thing. <laughs> Ladies, any others that want to hug me and talk this morning? Julie? Can we maybe do a handheld here? <laughs> Waking up in the sound booth over here. You don't want to be the sound booth? I don't, I don't want to be the sound booth. I think it's intimidating to make all the women hug me. He's a good hugger, though, I'm sure. Oops. Anyway, I just wanted to share that at God showed up. We were so blessed. 
And at the end of the day, I did not want to go home. <laughs> Even though all the ladies were gone, um, Jen and I and Linton sat at the end, and, and I just kind of sat there and went, you know, I don't want to leave. God's presence was there. The women were ministered to. Hearts left full. Um, one of the most exciting things <laughs> was the end. And um, it was just a special gift because we had little worship stations, which or altars, if you want to call them, where people would first go and shred sins and be cleaned with by washing their hands. It was just a symbolic thing. And then the second station after the second speaker was let it go, and they dropped their little rock into a can, and they let something go that they hadn't surrendered to God. And at the end of the day, after the third speaker and the altar call and and a very... It was a deep time, and the worship team was playing, and they went and had supper with their king. So we had a communion time. And then they took the little crowns that they'd been decorating with jewels all day long and laid them at the foot of the cross. And it was intense, and it was wonderful, and it was just a tiny glimpse of how awesome it will be to lay our crowns at the foot of the king. And to me, that was the most overwhelming part of the day. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a a little confirmation there this morning that you talked about prayer. For the next few minutes, could we go to Luke chapter 11? and, And then if you'd like... You can stick your finger in there and go get Matthew chapter 6 as well. We're going to kind of use both places. Lord, teach us to pray. We talked about last week that uh, there's a season, a calling, a time of repentance. Hosea and Isaiah right now, for me, are like headphones, stereo, one one on each side of my head, my heart. They were both prophets that spoke to Israel and Judah at the same time, basically 750 years B.C. in that area, 750 to 700-ish, under certain kings. And you can find that in the opening of those two books, that they were like King Uzziah and other kings, the kings of Judah and Israel. And But their message was very much the same. Part of the phrase that comes out of Isaiah, I think it's chapter 30, when he says, In returning and rest would have been your peace, but you refused it. Just coming back to me and resting in who I am, God was saying, is where your peace would be, but you wouldn't have it. The consequence of their refusal of God's invitation to return to him and Hosea's refrains were the same. Come, let us return to the Lord. Let us, let us come back to the God, our Maker. Let's uh, learn of Him and become knowledgeable about Him again. Uh, when He made that same invitation and they didn't come, and this is rejection of God's uh, love and mercy, is that they ended up, one nation being destroyed, the others going into captivity. I don't want to live in captivity. And yet the world all the time around us is trying to snare us and pull us in. And captivate us. Warnings come from James in chapter 4 verse 4. says, you know not, And 1 John chapter 2. 
Both these New Testament leaders said to us, don't love the world or the things of the world. If you love the things of the world, then the love of the Father isn't in you. Jesus prayed for us, said, Father, they're going to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, it's tough for us in English because we just use this word world and there's no way to get out of here. Don't be part of the world. How do you accomplish that? Exit? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. The phraseology is a little tough, but it means not to love the designs of the world, not to love the designs of the fallen nature, not to passionately interact with those things which are now displeasing to God because of the fallen nature of man. The carnal nature has begun to rule more so constantly. This this part of us that falls short of the glory of God uh, is rampant around us in society and in culture because people don't know who Christ is. And he's saying to us, don't participate with those things. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, let your mind be renewed. You need to be renewed in your mind. Don't follow the schematics of the world. There's a design there. And if you love its design and you embrace the world's orders, then the love of the Father can't dwell in you. It's a dichotomy. Jesus in chapter 11, Luke, we came here last week, came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's written on my tie. I could read it off my tie. I could read upside down. It says, Our Father, you can join me if you like, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We're using debts today. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's the eagle's wings version. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Don't trouble me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't rise and give it to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. History. I need a little history lesson here. I like to inject here that when he says, I'm, I'm in bed and my kids are with me, they basically had one bed. And when they would call tucking in at night, parents would get in first, all the kids would get in around, and then they would tuck in. So somebody's knocking on your door at midnight saying, bring me three loaves of bread. For the guy in the middle to get up was difficult. I'm in bed. My kids, we're tucked in. I'm not getting up. It's too, I have to wake up the whole family. And even though he's his friend, he won't get up. But if the guy keeps pounding, will he get up? Jesus says he'll get up. 
So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, Luke 11, this is given to us as the disciples asking Jesus to teach us to pray. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, which is in the Sermon on the Mount, is where Matthew relates this. Jesus is teaching on the hillside. We won't start at the beginning. Let's pick it up at verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And some versions add the word openly. Either way, it's a reward from the Father. The word room or closet, sometimes as we've given it, in the scripture, go into your prayer closet and close the door. This room was, this is a word that comes from the Old Testament, and it talked about rooms in the temple where the treasures were kept, the treasuries of God. So, what God is saying, when you go into the room where the treasure is found, close the door. These were storage rooms. These weren't rooms that people went in, had couches and things and all their, you know, their microwaves and their appliances and everything. It wasn't a living room. It was a storage room. So it wasn't frequented by people. For me, you know what? I'm a picture kind of guy. It's like living on a cul-de-sac. You know, when you live on a cul-de-sac, which most of us don't up here, if somebody's driving in your, on your street, you know they're either lost or they're supposed to be there. Right? And for those of you that live down here on Stanford Way and Turlock and Whipple, that for us, if you've ever been in that, have you ever been on those three streets? <laughs> because you needed to be there probably. They're just right down here. You can do it on the way home if you like. Just go down a little ways. You go past Zaka, and then there's Dutch. The next little street's Stanford. Turn in there, and it goes in, short little block, goes up around a curve, comes right back to where you started, and then you're on the highway. It's a loop. And I think the people that live in there are blessed because only cars that go by are people that live here or lost people. You know, they look up, they don't recognize a car person, and the person's face is like looking around. They know that person made a wrong turn because you have to go in there on purpose. Jesus said, when you go to pray, go in there on purpose. It's not a place where people frequent. There's not going to be a lot of traffic. There isn't a bunch of noise. You go in there on purpose and you close the door. That's where the treasure is found. Don't be like the hypocrites and don't be like pastors at times who love to stand and pray in front of people and pray long prayers and be admired for it. That's craziness. You know, we're, we do it. You do it. There are times in your cells when you pray out loud together and you should. 
But that's not the motive of our heart is to be seen. Jesus was rebuking the religious leaders who like to go out on the street corners and pray loud prayers and and, uh, pray over and over and be vainly repetitive just so people would see them. Jesus said, if that's your desire, then that's your reward. But you, when you pray, go into the treasure room. Go into your closet. Close the door. And pray to your Father who is in the secret place. He wants to meet with us. And I almost feel a, di- a difficulty in my spirit when I talk about these things because I talk about him like he's far off. I, you know, He wants to come and meet with He's there all the time. Every time you open the door to the closet of your prayer life, God is there. He's never left. He's waiting. He loves to have his appointment with you. He loves it when you stop by to say hello. He loves this all day long kind of prayer. Victor and I were just talking yesterday. You reminded me of the book, Victor, of uh, uh, Practice of His Presence, Brother Lawrence. And uh, just all day long praying. It didn't matter if he's in the kitchen washing dishes is at the little monastery where it was or cutting tomatoes. He was always saying, I'm going to cut this tomato for you, Jesus. Watch this. And he would cut the tomato. He was in constant conversation with the Father. Wasn't compartmentalized all the time. And there is those mo- there are those moments when you have to go into the closet, close the door, and have a specific moment of daily, what we call daily devotions. Daily, others call it quiet time. Quiet time. Living on the cul-de-sac time. Living on Turlock Whipple time. It's where it's not busy. Nobody's driving by. Nobody's going to bang on the door and want to get in. There isn't a bunch of places in there for people to come and sit and talk and take up your time. It's that place where just there's enough chairs for you and Jesus. I was talking with Joel Comiskey, in fact, in his book, and I brought his book because I want to make it known to you. It's called Appointment with the King. I think I can probably just find it right here. It says, in 1990, we arrived in Ecuador, South America, as missionaries with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Part of my early missionary training experience, I traveled to a tiny mining town near the border of Ecuador and Peru. The only way to travel beyond the town was by foot or mule. During the day, I lectured in halting Spanish to about 15 believers in a half-finished open-air church. I ministered about the importance of spending daily time with God. I told them they needed to find a silent place where they could spend time with God. A coal miner asked me if he could have his quiet time in the forest as he walked to work each morning. I responded, resounded with a res- Excuse me, I responded with a resounding yes. The silence and solitude of that forest made it easy to find a place alone. How different are our modern urban jungles where noise reigns and silence is uncommon? In intimacy with the Almighty, Chuck Swindoll says, Ours is a cluttered, complicated world. God did not create it that way. Depraved, restless humanity has made it that way. Tragically, precious little in this hurried and hassled age promotes such intimacy. We have become a body of people who look more like a herd of cattle in a stampede than a flock of God beside green pastures and still waters. Our forefathers knew, it seems, how to commune with the Almighty. But do we? We've grown so accustomed to noise that we almost feel uncomfortable alone in silence. 
Yet Jesus says, when you go, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. By the way, Joel Comiskey has written more than nearly 30 books. And when he speaks in public, he says, this is my most important book. Let me tell you something else. This is his least selling book. Now that is a problem. I love this book. I would go around the world promoting this book. I read this book at least once a year. We have 50 copies of it here in the church all the time. You can get one for nine bucks today. I'm not selling books. I'm just saying you need an appointment with the king. Not the book. Although that's the title. It's jumpstart ideas for your devotional life. Why park on this today? Why mention these things today? Because God wants to spend time with us. There, I may not know a lot of things well, but this I know, and I am not mistaking the voice of God. In this season, He wants to spend time with us. Now that, that's a marvel to me. The God of the universe is actively, once again, actively pursuing His kids. Saying, spend time with me. Why? He's jealous for you. He loves you. He wants some of your day, every day. It would stand to reason, even for the logical person, that if God was saying, please come and sit with me, he might have something he wants to say. Don't be fearful of that. Here's the person that knows the end of your life from the beginning. Here's the God of the universe saying, I'd like to, you know, we've talked about this before, Jeremiah 33. Three, I believe, is call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you don't know yet. Things that have been hidden. He knows them. And say, come sit with me. Come talk with me. Let me talk with you. It's time for us to re-strengthen our devotional lives. And we say devotional, I don't know if that's maybe too much of an old word or something, but it's that time when we close the door. I, I often refer to Susanna Wesley, mother of John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist movement. Uh, I think she had, somebody help me, 16 kids. All hers. Sixteen kids in a little tiny house. And for her, every day at noon, you like this girl. She'd go in, she had a stool. Where's that stool? We don't have it here. She'd pull up this stool in the middle of the kitchen. And she'd sit down on it. And she'd grab her apron. And she'd pull it up over her head. And that was her prayer closet. <laughs> with sixteen kids in the house. And all those kids knew. When the apron's overhead, you don't go in the kitchen. She's talking to God in there. <laughs> that prayer life that found a place to close the door in the middle of the kitchen with 16 kids. Come on, ladies, I just eroded all your excuses. <laughs> Didn't I? Guys, you're thinking about that too, I know. That produced the whole Methodist movement. That produced two of the greatest songwriters that ever lived in the church. Because every day she said, it's time to go into the closet. And she met with God under her apron. Fascinates me. 
We do live in such a busy world, though, don't we? I mean, aren't things amplified and just jamming all the time? Peggy and I made a trip to Newport yesterday. We got to do a wedding for Victor and Elise's uh, daughter on a big yacht on the Newport Bay. That was nice. Thank you. We've never seen houses from that side before. On the way, we were on the 91. Y'all been on the 91? You know what that's like. Just past the toll road entrance. Right? And that, and what's it called? The fast track? Just after the fast track entrance. You know what happens right there. It goes, we stop. And we get, we, you know, bumper bumper, we're making our way, and, and uh, then we hear a siren. I go, where is that? Well, I wasn't the only one that wanted to know. In the next lane to us, we all stopped, and except for one person, they didn't stop. And I heard this, <laughs> I looked over, I mean, right next to us. This guy stopped. The guy behind him was looking for the siren and just ran right in it. And I thought, well, we're going to need another one. And all of us crawled away and left them. That's what you do on the freeway. Not my fault. I'm not sticking around to help, right? This is a dangerous place. I plead insanity. You don't park here. And I thought, we are so busy. We are so rushed along at 70 miles an hour and then jerked to a halt and then rushed to 70. (laughs) Where's my closet? Where's my quiet time? Is there any? We pack our days so full that we think we're the president whose schedule runs by the minute. I'm trying to encourage you today. Trying. Not sure I'm doing it. But I'm trying. And say, let's put uh, some brakes on. Let's be the coal miner. Let's get out in the forest a bit. We have a kind of prime location. We could sneak off to a quiet spot. But if Susanna can get it in the middle of her kitchen, we ought to be able to get it somewhere. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites that stand outside, go in, close the door, and let your Father reward you. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, don't be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Wow. He's already got the answers before I ask. Why do I need to pray? That becomes a real question for people. Well, if he already knows, I mean, come on. Sovereign God, he can just provide. I don't have to bother him. I'm not bothering him. He's got the answers, but he would like to share them with you. There's nothing too big for him. When you pray, pray in this manner. And I say this specifically because there are those that teach, you know, just by vain repetition, by repeating this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, over and over and over, somehow effective. Jesus was actually saying, as he says in verse 9, in this manner, or like this. Use this style. It's, a, it's actually a Greek adverb that he uses. I can't pronounce it. It's H-O-U-T-O-S for us, but I won't foul it up. I'll just spell it correctly. But that adverb says when you pray, pray like this. Pray this way. Use this style, our Father who's in heaven. We're acknowledging you first. 
Hallowed be, let's worship first. Hallowed be your name. I'm not starting with my needs first. Starting with worshiping him first. Come before him with thanksgiving. This resonates through the scriptures. Come into his presence with singing, Psalm 100. Into his courts with praise. That's where we start. Our Father, holy is your name. You're above all. May your kingdom and all of your desires come and be done on the earth. May your will be accomplished in the earth as it is in heaven. Let's have your way. That would be our next point of prayer. And then finally, he lets us get down to give us this day, our daily bread. We do have some needs, and Jesus just told us the Father knows what they are before we get to them. But he's very willing to greet us when we bring them. But there is an order of coming. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Here's a style to live by. In verse 14 it says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. It's a lifestyle of forgiveness. Father, forgive my debt. This word debtor means that there's actually a bill that you have to pay. Not it. There's a bill that you have to pay that you don't have enough to pay it with. You're a debtor. Forgive me my debts that I can't pay as I willingly forgive others who have a debt they can't pay. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? It's a new way to end the service, actually. Sort of a new idea. Yeah. Is this where the pulpit sinks into the floor? We're done. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> We're out of here. <laughs> forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. There's a whole concept here about spiritual warfare. If we open that up and amplify it, we realize there's a lot there. And then back to him. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. This is all about you. What a great way to spend time in the closet walking through those steps with him. Let me be done. Since how we had that signal, the time was over. I just want to encourage us. I, I want to encourage me. It's easy to be busy. Maybe next time you're real busy and you say, I'm too busy to pray. Remember the little thing? I think some youth came up with this. Busy stands for being under Satan's yoke. You know, you got this yoke and he's just driving you along. And you're too busy to pray. You know, prayer is more than an activity. It's a relationship. I appreciate uh, my wife's encouragement to me. She says, you know, why don't you just, you know, take it on. Uh, she illustrated to me that we, I have a, had a great relationship with my mother. You know, I was a came four boys in a single parent home, so real close to mom. For me, I had a great relationship with my mom. I was with her when she passed away, and uh, you know the last thing I did for her before she passed away to Jesus was I was rubbing her feet at the end of her bed just to make her feel better. You know, we had a close relationship. I could sit down and talk to her about almost anything, and, and she would be really straightforward with me if I was wrong or out of order or if I had a need, she would help. So I really have a great relationship with her. 
And she goes, why don't you just treat God like you did your mom? Why don't you just sit down and chat with him? You know, grab a cup of coffee, stop by and drop in. Say, hey, mom, what are you doing? She's never too busy. Mom's never too busy to talk to me. I hope not all of us have that experience. We don't have a good parents and you go through all that. But, you know, we tend to think of God as we do our authority figures, our parents. And so if our parents were never there, then God's probably not ever there either for us in our mind. We set him up to take the fall. And so I appreciate her saying that to me because that gives me a correlation. Say, yeah, that's right. I could just, I didn't have to call if I was going to stop by and talk to mom. I just stopped. And if she was doing something, she'd either include me or tell me to get lost. Right? Well, I know the father doesn't do number two. He never tells me to get lost, and he never says he's too busy. He always includes me. So I'm looking forward to renewing my relationship with the Father. And I want you to have the same. A little quiet time. A little closet time. Close the door. Go someplace where there's no traffic. And I mean foot traffic, phone traffic. Leave your cell phone outside. Turn it off. Don't take your laptop that's connected to the Internet because you'll have to keep up with your Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, and Chatter, and Noise. <laughs> Amen? I know about these things. <laughs> I can tweet with the best of them. <laughs> I'm not into mobile uploading yet, though, so you know I'll get there. But when you're highly connected to everything all the time, when do you get highly connected to God? I'd like to text him. Because it'd be cool if one came back. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something if you texted us? I talked about that last week, that there's an iPhone app for prayer. You know, text out to God and send, him a, send it into cyberspace. <laughs> I'm going to get in the closet because I need answers to my texts. Don't you? Father, would you help us this week as we focus on learning to pray? Holy Spirit, I can't imagine you saying, no, I'm not going to help. When we ask you to help us learn how to pray, have fellowship with the Father. Thank you for all the expressions you've given us in your word. Lead us to more and more of them specifically this week as we look into your word. Help us to spot those places where you're speaking to us, calling us into relationship with yourself. And above all, I pray that you'll give us the courage to set schedules in such a way that we can actually accomplish it. Lord, show us where our kitchen stool is. Show us where our apron is. Show us how to pull it up over our head. Show us how to go in and close the door and to be undisturbed with you for a little while to gain the strength that we need for our daily living. Bring us into this relationship with the ease that I know you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell books, but this is, when I point this out, this is the book that we use in the second step of our, actually the third step of our training track here for leadership. You know, we, we first get people grounded in Christ. Second, then we want to move them through like an encounter weekend. And coming out of that, we help them this, with this book to establish a regular foundational devotional pattern for their life. It's a great book. 
Let me know if you want one. Uh, I feel like a, you know, don't don't condemn me for selling in the temple. Okay, I'm not doing that. Don't don't take me to task on that. I'll repent if you bring it up. I'll repent. You pray with me, and I'll be forgiven, and you'll still be upset. And that's the way it is. No. <laughs> anyway, you can see me or Ed. Um, Okay. Yeah, if you need one and, and Tom wants to buy it for you today, let me know and I'll take it out of his pocket. If you can't afford it, that should not be a barrier. Okay, if you want one, just let us know. God bless you. Have a great day. And I hope I didn't miss anything as far as all the hundreds of things we're doing.